Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in the window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Brent Amichok of Human Events Magazine. Terry Martin, executive director and founder of the Illinois Channel. Bill Schneider from Georgetown, George Mason University, political expert and in the one of the best in the country. And in our second hour, we'll be joined by Charles Stewart, the third, and he is from MIT. We'll be talking about elections. Our program tonight coming to you from two places. It's coming to you from home studios all over the United States, including mine. Uh, in downtown Chicago, overlooking the Chicago River in a very cold, bitter Chicago. Not much snow on the ground at the moment, but nice to have you with us. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. And we begin tonight with true breaking news. If you've not heard the big news, Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, Florida, has suspended his campaign for president of the United States and seeking the Republican presidential nomination. He has endorsed Donald Trump. And again, this obviously is big, big news. I think we were suspecting that something like this might happen a couple of weeks from now, but it happened uh, just a few hours ago, and we've got a great panel to discuss it. We begin with Bill Schneider. Bill joins us from Washington, D.C. Uh, Bill is a veteran political analyst. He now works for George Mason University and also the Messenger Bill. Nice to have you with us and back on Beyond the Beltway. And uh, when we booked this uh, 48 hours ago, we didn't know that we were going to be sitting on the the biggest story when we went on the air, but we are, and uh, you've already written about it. What, what what can we expect to hear from you? Well, I was talking about the fact that there are two issues that could blow the race wide open. One is abortion, which could uh, help Biden. The other is immigration, which could help Trump. Those are two issues that Americans are very concerned about, and they could uh, mm -hmm. change things dramatically. I said at the end that Trump is likely to get the nomination. His support is not simply transactional. It's very personal. The two top reasons that Iowa Republicans gave for supporting Donald Trump was he shares my values and he fights for people like me. They went strongly for Trump. That sounds like identity politics, something conservatives claim to despise. The candidate with the strongest conservative issue positions was Ron DeSantis. And look where it got him. No one. Mm -hmm. Brent Hambachuk joins us. He is from Human Events Magazine. Brent, uh, you're the closest thing to a card-carrying, banner-waving uh, Trumpster on the program this evening. And uh, my question to you is, uh, uh, is it truly all over now, this campaign? Well, I, thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, it's always nice to be on your show. It's been a long time. I thought you might be mad at me. Uh, <laughs> look, I'm not what you would call a card-carrying Trump supporter, but I am a card-carrying rationalist. And Ron DeSantis dropping out of this campaign is an absolute, complete, and total non-issue. It's not even a story. I'll tell you why. He never should have gotten in. The day that Donald Trump declared that he was running, the Republican race was over. Nobody was ever going to beat him. And not only did Ron DeSantis make a mistake by running this time if he thought he could win, he made a bigger mistake than that. Because Ron DeSantis, his national political career is over. It doesn't mean he might not be governor of Florida again. By the way, I think he's been the most consequential governor 
in the, le in the last century at least, given what he's done and the times in which he's done them. He's a big supporter of what he's done, but he's ruined his national political chances. He will never get the support of Trump supporters now because Trump supporters see him as having committed an act of personal treason. And this is more than just identity but politics. But he did endorse him. But he did it. But he he did endorse. It doesn't him. make any difference. It does, there's nothing he can say or do. Doesn't make any nothing he can say or do. Terry Martin is the executive director of the Illinois Channel. Uh, Terry, your reaction to the news of the day? Well, I I both agree and disagree with Brent. Uh, I would say, I always thought. Uh, I said back in May. Uh, there's going to be a charade of campaigns and the news media will try to say that uh, Nikki Haley and the, and the other gang of candidates, you know, try to be, uh, blow them up. Trump is going to be the nominee. I've said that as far back in May. I, I disagree with Brent as far as his comments that uh, Ron DeSantis has ruined his national future. I, I don't think that's the case. I think Trump supporters agree with Brent that he, uh, DeSantis is a great governor. Uh, I think he'll continue to be considered a, uh, a high target for running for the White House in some future year. Bill Schneider, uh, does this, uh, uh, how do you think this news is playing in New Hampshire tonight and also uh, uh, in South Carolina, which, uh, you know, votes uh, almost a month away? The response will be, Ron who? He wasn't showing up in yeah. New Hampshire and he hadn't really campaigned yeah. in South Carolina very much. He was a non-entity on the campaign trail. Uh, he says he's thinking about running in 2028, but you know, my prediction for 2028 is if Trump gets elected, he'll try to figure out some way to run for a third term. It's unconstitutional, but he doesn't care about that. He will try to <laughs> stay in office forever. His model isn't Franklin Roosevelt who got elected four times. It's Vladimir Putin. Putin has been in power since 1999. That's what Trump would like to do. Mm -hmm. But does this, uh, you know, there obviously was great speculation when uh, Tim Scott announced his support uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, speculation already suggests that he might be looking for the vice presidency. Um, doesn't the selection of a running mate send the first signal of what Donald Trump really is planning? And again, it might be something as, as, as adventurous as a third term but it also might be setting up a, uh, a standard bearer that would follow in his wake and, and, and support his policies. Does that, does that help Tim Scott or anybody else? Yes. Yes. Uh, when a president can't run for reelection, the party almost always nominates the vice president. They nominated Nixon after Eisenhower. They nominated Humphrey after Lyndon Johnson, after Carter mm. got defeated, they nominated Walter Mondale. If the vice president runs, Dick Cheney never ran. But if the vice president runs, the vice president almost always gets the nomination, even after an unpopular president like Jimmy Carter. So I think whoever Trump picks will be seen as his successor. But again, just to mention that uh, it is not likely uh, to be Ron DeSantis because you uh, because Trump lives and now resides and votes in Florida. He is a resident of that state, and you cannot have two people from the same, same state on the same ticket unless 
you decide that you're going to forego the the uh, electoral votes from that state. So it's not likely to be Ron DeSantis. But it will be others. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, the the uh, the importance, if it was really important for Tim Scott. Uh, and again, uh, also suggestions. Uh, this is your really the first opportunity nationwide to react to uh, the Ron DeSantis decision. So give us a call. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. We'd be interested in your assessment of the dropping out of Ron DeSantis from the 2024 race for president. tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year of partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date, and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we can come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Visit surroundchicago.com and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit TalkAboutVaping.org. That's TalkAboutVaping.org. 
Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you much for joining us tonight. Phone lines open, 1-800-723-8289. If, if you uh, sent money to Ron DeSantis, are you upset with him tonight? Or do you understand how these decisions are made? And, uh, Bill, I want to go back to you because you've seen uh, candidates jump in and jump out of races for the last 40-plus uh, you know, years. Um, yes. This, this decision, does, does the call in a, in a situation like this, and we don't absolutely know yet, but does it come from close friends? Does it come from a spouse? Does it come from uh, the fundraising team? I mean, everybody knew that he had a, just a prodigious, uh, you know, fundraising uh, apparatus set up. Where does where does the where does the first idea of dropping out come from, in your view? Uh, my experience is it comes from people who give the candidate money and who say, "No more money. You can't win, and we're not going to support you anymore." That's where the message is loudest, clearest, and strongest. And uh, to those that are supporting the remaining candidate, now know that uh, the Koch uh, brothers, the Koch family, uh, has supported Nikki Haley. They are major funders of Republican politics. Uh, to you, uh, Terry Martin, I mean, uh, are they likely to dig a little bit deeper to support uh, Nikki Haley now that she's the only uh, standing opponent to the president or former president? Well, we're on the verge of New Hampshire, so I think everyone's going to look to see what happens in New Hampshire. And the question is, how close can she come? She has to make some kind of a case that she is a viable alternative to Trump. Uh, but I would say my guess would be that most of DeSantis votes would go for Trump, not to Nikki Haley. And it didn't help uh, help her that uh, most of the big names in South Carolina politics came out uh, at Trump's rally just the other night and came out in support of Trump. So I I don't think uh, really this is going to last very long. I think after the South Carolina primary, she's going to be trounced and she'll be she'll be done. Yeah. Well, also, there's a possibility that maybe before then, uh, maybe maybe she will see the the, the handwriting on the wall like Ron DeSantis did and decide uh, I don't want to be embarrassed in my home state. And maybe she drops out. But uh, Brent, you're you're a segment of uh, what impact this might have on Nikki Haley. And uh, obviously the, the voters in New Hampshire tomorrow, I think, have another very another Im- important reason to go out and vote is they I mean, if, if, if she should win in the wake of Ron DeSantis uh, dropping out and endorsing Donald Trump, I mean, I think that just makes her win uh, even more important tomorrow or Tuesday, rather. Look, if Nikki Haley wins in New Hampshire, I will give up my current role as the publisher at Human Events, and I, I, I'll go, I'll work at Starbucks, and I'll serve you lattes. She has less than zero chance. There's, there's nothing to talk about. Ron DeSantis dropping out of the campaign has no effect on her campaign because she doesn't have any campaign. I repeat, the minute Donald Trump declared that he was going to run for the, the Republican nomination, the race okay. was over. Nobody was ever going to beat him. I said last week or a couple of weeks ago on on the program, I said that the the political punditry community 
that they didn't they didn't have much to do between now and November is that the race was over. How many times can you write the same things? Now, we right. still have not gotten to a state. I mean, there, there's a lot of polls that suggest, especially in Iowa, there's a lot of people who are Republicans, identified as Republicans, who said they would support Donald Trump if he got convicted of something. But sure. we still don't know. I mean, I guess this is one of the unanswered questions is between now and November, if Donald Trump does indeed get indicted and convicted, he's been indicted, if he gets convicted of something, will there be a drop in this rock solid support? I don't think there's going to be a drop in the rock solid support for Donald Trump. But again, uh, to, to the other you know millions of people that are out there, uh, this may be a signal that they would never go to Trump. So how important are the uh, how important would a conviction be now, uh, Terry Martin, in your view? I, I would agree with you uh, that if if Trump is convicted, I don't think it's going to undercut his support. I think the Republican voters, at least, and I think a number of uh, other voters who don't always vote Republican, look at this as a political witch hunt against Trump. And they don't look at it in the same context we normally would of a conviction. Bill Schneider, your reaction to uh, whether or not a conviction would, would change this story in any significant way? I think the Trump people are a little worried about that. And that's exactly why his attorneys, and he has a fleet of attorneys who are experienced and who know how to stall things. They are trying desperately to put off trials on criminal charges until after the election. If Trump wins, the conviction, every, there's no conviction. If Trump wins while, before the trials are finished, then they're all over. That's what they want to happen. They don't want him to go on trial because nobody can predict exactly how they'll feel if it turned out that he were convicted. They want to avoid that. Do we know, when I say we, I mean, does the political punditry class of which you are, uh, you know, one of the more veteran members, I mean, uh, do we know what would really happen if if he won the election and was convicted? I mean, what would happen? Would he serve? Would he serve from prison? Uh, what really would happen legally? He would, dis he would have the federal charges dismissed. I'm not sure that applies to criminal charges in Georgia because that's not a federal not. court. Right. Yeah, it, I, I don't think so. Yeah. The only yeah, one that could name would be the Georgia. But could we see a day, Brent, I mean, realistically, uh, could we see a day where Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and he was found guilty of some of these charges that could not be dismissed and he would he would be in jail and running the country? Is that possible? Well, we're we're living we're living in a moment in time where absolutely is anything is possible. Because once we started, you know, the the term political witch hunt, that's a good one. Show trials works. We're, we're seeing something here that we've never seen before. This is unprecedented. And when the state uh, Supreme Court in Colorado said that he couldn't be on the ballot because he had committed insurrection, would he not been convicted of any such thing yet? We moved into a world of declarative verdicts and arbitrary rulings and justice. So all bets are off. But I want to say what happens if he does get convicted. You asked the question, what happens if he gets convicted before the election? Yeah. We don't operate in a vacuum, right? So that would be an event that happened. Two different things. One is 
I believe it would hurt him greatly, not with his supporters, but where it would hurt him would be with anyone who's not already a supporter who would look at that and the way it would be presented in the media and they would say, oh my God, enough. I can't, I just can't anymore. And so it would take a number of people, some percentage and have them say, I can't vote for a guy who was convicted. Here's the other thing that really matters. And that is who he's running against. I've been saying for well over a year on the record, it will not be Joe Biden. He can't be on the ballot in November. If he is, it will be the greatest political mistake a major party has ever made in a presidential election. And there have been plenty. So it would matter who he's running against. And I continue to warn the world as I have for well over a year. And now people are starting to catch on to watch out for Michelle Obama because she can't be beaten. If she steps in, she can't lose. And so that's the thing that, that I would fear. Bill Schneider, your reaction to that? I don't, I can't imagine a scenario where she gets the Democratic nomination because she has no, no experience, she has no qualifications. That doesn't matter. <laughs> I simply don't know how that could happen. I do agree that Biden is a weak nominee. Let me give you a little story about that. 20 years ago, or a little over 20 years ago, I was in Chicago and uh, I went to hear Bill Clinton speak at the Chicago Booksellers Convention. This was right after the 2002 uh, midterm election when Democrats were disappointed that they did poorly. That was only a year after 9-11. Bill Clinton, who's still the smartest man in American politics, made a statement that I'll always remember. He said, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, strong and wrong beats weak and right. Strong and wrong beats weak and right. That's the way people are looking at this election. They think Trump is strong and wrong, and they think Biden may be weak and right, but they're not going to vote for a weak president. And every poll that I've seen for years now has asked people, when they ask people, do you think Joe Biden is a strong or weak president? They always say weak. To many people, old means weak. And that's why he's a very controversial nominee, and who knows what will happen in November. Do you think his stumble this past week, Trump's stumble last week, uh, referring to Nikki Haley as the person who screwed up things on, on January 6th, uh, when he meant to mention uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, will that hurt him and to some voters? Uh, was that a signal of maybe that not everything is right upstairs, Terry Martin? I don't think so. I mean, he has no record. Uh, you know, it, it, we've all done that before where you speak. You're, you're thinking of one right. person, you say something else. If there was a record, uh, as we have with Biden, uh, where every day he comes out and stumbles over his his tongue, uh, I don't think that I don't think people are putting any credence on that stumble. So that's that is a true gaffe. That's a true political gaffe, as opposed to anything systemic within the the, the brain. I, Everybody I agree think with that, that? Anybody who has more than one kid and has ever called one of them by the other's <laughs> name is uh, can pretty much pass on that one. Okay. On that note, we're going to pause. 1-800-723-8049. Wherever you're listening, from coast to coast and border to border around the world, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening.
This is Jerry Boyer for townhall.com. Ultra-liberal New York Congressman Jerry Nadler just made a very strange case for illegal immigration. Forget the fact that our vegetables would rot in the ground if they weren't being picked by many immigrants, many illegal immigrants. The fact is that the birth rate in this country is way below replacement level, which means our population is going to start shrinking. And the ratio of people on Social Security and Medicare is going to increase relative to the number of people supporting them. What's notable about that isn't that he wants more illegal immigration. What's notable is that he, a liberal Democrat, acknowledges that we have an underpopulation problem. So we don't face a population bomb. We don't need to shrink global population to sustainable levels. Our economy actually needed the 70 million people we've aborted since Roe. It's nice to hear our lefty admit to the reality of demographic winter, even if only for a moment and in the service of lawlessness. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us this evening, wherever you're listening from coast to coast. And border to border, our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8029. Anybody listening in the great state of Florida, what reaction uh, that you might have to the return of your governor to a full-time activity down there? He's been uh, obviously on the road quite a bit. And uh, at this point uh, on our program, we traditionally ask each of our guests to give us a little uh, bio, a little more than I have introduced them as this evening. So let's begin with uh, Brent Hamachek. Brent, uh, tell us more about uh, what you do for uh, human events. So thanks. And again, it's it's nice to be back. I'm the vice president and associate publisher for 
Human Events Media Group. We have Human Events, which is Ronald Reagan's favorite, uh, famously famous newspaper, favorite newspaper, and uh, the Post Millennial. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, I am the uh, a founding board member of Bridge Charities, uh, which supports the Common Ground Campus Program, where we go around the country and try to teach students how to engage constructively with others as opposed to arguing and debating issues. Uh, and finally, I'd like to share that in uh, February, I have my own book coming out called Dissidently Speaking. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And it is a book of ideas, the kind of book people don't really write anymore. So and take a okay, stab at well, it. Well, we'll look forward We'll look forward to having you on the program to talk about it. Uh, Terry Martin, okay. tell everybody who you are. I am uh, the executive director of the Illinois Channel. It was modeled after C-SPAN. Uh, it's kind of a blend between what I did in local TV news and what I did at C-SPAN. Uh, I also have a second uh, YouTube channel that is called Money and Politics Now, uh, because I think there's too many times the punditry talks ad nauseum about the politics, but they don't connect uh, the fact of what's going on in the economy. And as James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. So, uh, you know, I, I've watched politics for years, love talking about it because of the, it's consequential and it's also interesting. And last year you ran for Congress for the Republican nomination for Congress. Uh, you were unsuccessful uh, uh, in, in, in a few words. What did you learn from that experience? Um, a, a number of things. One, we know that people have to go out and get signatures to get on the ballot. That's one thing to know that and right. something else to be standing out in the cold of winter asking people to get signatures. So that it's not intellectually a big lesson, but it does give me an appreciation of what the candidates have to go through, uh, as well as the fact that you got to pick up the phone and make the money calls and no one likes to do that. So, uh, it's, it's not. It's more difficult uh, than it appears, and I think it was a, a, a good learning example for me to cover politics to have been on the other side of the podium for a change. Yep. Well, I, I ran for the state senate in 1970, and then went back to media, which was a good thing that I did that. Uh, but but the the experience of running for office uh, is one that uh, I think. Uh, I'd like to have a, more media people understand that because it it does add a unique perspective to uh, uh, to your commentary. Bill Schneider, I think most people probably know who you are because you're really famous, but tell us a little bit about uh, uh, more things that they may not know. Well, uh, I used to be on CNN. That's, I suppose, made me famous. I was there for about 21 years uh, from uh, 1989 to 2009. Uh, and mm -hmm. I've, I've actually had two careers. One. In academia, I've taught at about four different universities, Harvard University, Boston College, uh, more, more recently at UCLA, and then at George Mason University here in the Washington area. And I've also been a journalist for most of my life. I've written for the Los Angeles Times, for the Atlantic Monthly, and now for The Messenger, before that for The Hill, newspaper on Capitol Hill. So I've had a varied career, but it's always been about politics. I grew up on politics. My mother was a political worker. I've never worked in politics or ran for anything myself, like some of our guests. But um, uh, I've come in on politics my whole life. And I published a book in 2018 uh, about uh, how America became ungovernable, which I think we're seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And from from uh, looking from beyond the Beltway, what do you think the those that reside beyond the Beltway, who are critical of many who reside inside the Beltway, and, and you are an exception to that, which is why you've been a frequent guest on this program for well over 20 years now. Bill, what, what is it that those who work inside the Beltway don't understand about what people live outside the Beltway or vice versa? Where, where, is, the, where is the disconnect between uh, what you know and what you think and, and those who you write about, wherever they're, list, wherever they're uh, stationed? If you live in the Beltway, politics is the number one thing that you think about all the time. If you live outside the Beltway, you don't think about politics very much. It's not a very important part of your life. It's nothing you live and breathe. It's not really essential. A lot of people in Washington don't understand that most people outside of Washington aren't driven by politics. When, when the, going back to where we started this program, which was the announcement that uh, Ron DeSantis has, has suspended his campaign uh, and, and will now has endorsed Donald Trump for the Republican presidential nomination. So with the exception of Nikki Haley, uh, that's the only story. So Nikki Haley has always wanted a two-person race. She will have one on, on Tuesday and she'll have one uh, again uh, later in the month of February in her in her home state. But it, it does uh, it it does move up the discussion of a running mate. There's always a period of time in a presidential campaign where the can where the the stories are all about who's going to get picked for for as a running mate. And I'm just I, I'd like to come back to that uh, that possibility. And Bill, I want to start with you. Um, wh what does it, what does it mean to someone like a Tim Scott? Who who endorses uh, Donald Trump? Does does it does it give him a leg up in being a running mate? I mean, obviously Vivek Ramaswamy has endorsed him as well, but I can't think Tim Scott might have a little more bona fides uh, as a as a running mate. So does this? Does. Are, are we are we early in the are we early in the Veep stakes? Well, this is the beginning of the Veep stakes. It'll go on until the president. Yeah. Nominee announces his choice, which will be before the convention. I think the Republican convention is in uh, Milwaukee in July. But the uh, vice presidential choice is the heir apparent to the nominee. Whether the nominee wins or loses, he has designated his heir apparent. And whoever Trump picks is likely to be the next nominee of the Republican Party, assuming Trump doesn't run for the election, which would be difficult under the Constitution. So that's why it's extremely important, even Biden's nomination of Kamala Harris. I've looked at the polls when Democrats are asked, who do you think the party will nominate or should nominate if Biden decides not to run? Number one choice is always Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. uh, Brent, uh, look into your crystal ball and, and let, mm -hmm. let's speculate a little bit uh, from a from a conservative perspective. Uh, where do you, Who are the names that Donald Trump should in your view should be thinking about and is he thinking about those people well, it's a it's a totally fair question i'm going to disappoint everybody by by saying i actually have no idea and and, and here's why and as i answer it that way i'm going to qualify myself a little bit the last two presidential elections i had called right 20 months ahead of time so i've got a little bit of credibility in terms of being able to figure these things out i can't figure this one out uh, 
he his ego has taken him to a place where so many people seem to be ruled out simply because of his past statements that uh, who he might pick is I I honestly have no idea. But here's what I will say definitively: it actually doesn't make any difference who he picks. None, zero. It will not add or subtract a single voter for him. The people who are does it vote not? For does him it not? Can't uh, be dissuaded. But 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 does it not, Brent? Does it does it not send a signal as as Bill suggested that this is Donald Trump's uh, choice to basically follow in his footsteps whenever his time is is up? And again, well, you know, one of the criticisms one of the criticisms of Ronald Reagan was being this this massive figure within the conservative movement. There were a lot of people uh, within the conservative movement who were early supporters of him uh, who did not like the idea that he picked George Bush, a clearly a, an establishment moderate guy, right. to be his running mate. They would have preferred uh, someone like a Jack Kemp or someone who was younger and, and, and came out of the conservative uh, population. And uh, he didn't do right. that. And a lot of people thought right. that... Uh, that that uh, that was a mistake because there there right. could have been a better successor to Ronald Reagan than George Bush. Right. He that all of what you said is true, and and yet they voted for him and they voted for him twice. Right. Uh, so do I think that Trump's choice matters in terms of putting some sort of a a marking on who he thinks his successor will be? Honestly, I don't. It doesn't make any difference at all. Not this time. This is not, we don't live in a world of cycles or where things repeat. We live in a world of cause and effect. And we live in a world okay. in 2024 that is not like anything we've seen before. And who he picks is Terry, inconsequential. Uh, Terry, Terry Martin, I want, to, I want to get Terry's response to that, to, to the broader question of uh, of a running mate. How important is it? And, and are there names out there that you think are uh, more likely to end up on a final list? Well, yes, I, I think this is a very consequential. I generally would have agreed with Brent, but I think this time is different. And it does matter because we know Donald Trump can't run again. I would say Josh Hawley is one of the most articulate, hard conservative, very articulate young man. And that's the other thing. We need to get a new generation. Josh Hawley of Missouri could be either the VP or he would make also an excellent attorney general. Uh, beyond that, okay, Jim Scott, up. but I think, I think Hollywood would be someone to look at. I will be back shortly in a moment with our guest. Visit Dennis Prager. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at StandWithIsraelTour.com, StandWithIsraelTour.com, or call 855-565-5519, 855-565-5519. You're smart, you're busy, and don't have time to waste on the mainstream media cycle. Salem News Channel breaks that cycle. Topics that matter from hosts worth watching. Dinesh D'Souza, Andrew Wilkow, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. Salem News Channel, not like the other guys. Watch anytime on any screen, free, 24-7. 
Find everything you need to know at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, in the next hour, our special guest for the full hour is going to be Charles Stewart III. Uh, he is with MIT, political science professor at MIT, and he heads uh, the MIT Election Data and Science uh, Lab, and uh, we're going to be able to answer a lot of questions about uh, the, the variety of requirements to run for president in various states. So when someone says they want to run for president and they haven't thought about how many states they have to get on and how many signatures they need, uh, we're going to talk about that in the next hour because we're going to also talk about the the viability of no labels or any third party effort, including Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, you know how successful can they likely be? And he knows chapter and verse is one of the most knowledgeable people in the country on that subject. So we're going to talk about the likelihood and he's going to go through the nuts and bolts of running for president of the United States. That'll be in our second hour this evening. And again, uh, back to uh, our, our panel at this moment, we were talking about vice presidential uh, running mates and uh, uh, Terry Martin mentioned uh, Josh Hawley of Missouri. And again, there will be a lot of people vying for that position. And I do agree with Bill Schneider that that is the person that uh, you want to anoint. Uh, anoint. I will, I will mention one other name and then I want to go back to uh, what signal Donald Trump might want to send to the demographics of of America, and uh, I, I would add the name of J.D. Vance. Now, again, he doesn't necessarily need the senator from Ohio to win Ohio because he is likely to win Ohio without 
J.D. Vance on it. But J.D. Vance, I think, uh, is, first of all, someone who's very loyal to Donald Trump. And that, I think, is the number one thing that Donald Trump looks for. But again, I think he would uh, he would set himself up as a very young man and, and would be a very strong candidate if he chooses to run for president uh, four years from now. It would be, obviously, uh, uh, he would be under the tutelage of, of, of Donald Trump. Um, Bill, Bill Schneider, any reaction to that? And then I also want to ask you more about about uh, Tim Scott and whether or not selecting an African-American, what signal that might send to the Republican Party and to Trump's supporters? Donald Trump cares about loyalty. That's the number one and probably the, mm-hmm. by far the most important consideration in choosing a right. vice president. He values personal loyalty. That's what he did not get from Pence, which is why Pence is no longer going to be on the ticket. Yeah. Uh, Pence was not a loyal. Well, he didn't president. get he didn't get from that he didn't get that from Pence in the last two weeks of his presidency, no. but he got a lot of it prior to that. Well, the last I'd say the last year of his presidency, Pence disagreed with him on a no. lot of things. Trump looks for loyalty. He values that more than ideology, more than anything else. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. That's absolutely critical. I don't know about Scott and how loyal he would be to Trump. He's an African American, of course. Uh, and uh, he would represent something different, new, a black nominee in the Republican Party uh, with a prospect of possibly becoming president. That would be important. But I don't think Trump cares about those statements. Trump cares about loyalty. That's all he wants. He doesn't want to have to deal with someone who's not personally subservient to him. Would, wouldn't uh, J.D. Vance uh, fill that, uh, that, check that box? I mean, he was he was the one that that picked J.D. Vance. And, you know, without Trump, J.D. Vance probably would not have been elected. So is there not uh, is there not not that degree of loyalty that that Trump might view him as one of his, uh, you know, fourth sons? (laughs) I agree. But there are lots of others who have been loyal to Trump as well, besides J.D. Vance. Like who? Who are some uh, some of the others names that you think are are legitimate? Well, she's running again. for, I think, Carrie Lake in Arizona. Okay. Uh, Christy Noem in South Dakota. Those are women who were who have been very loyal to Donald Trump, and he'd be, I think, uh, in a position to take either one of them as running mate. It would be a female, where he's been relatively weak in recent elections. So Scott, of course, would be black, and that would add something to the ticket. But he is most well, important. Well, he is. Uh, well, there about Christy Noman. We talked about this last week on the program. There are there are rumors about some extramarital things that she may have been involved in over the the years uh, that could that could rear their ugly head. And also, uh, uh, you know, Tim Scott is uh, is unmarried at, in, in in his you know late forties, early fifties. Uh, do, do those things in the world of politics? Uh, back to you, Terry Martin. Are those things in the world of politics that uh, really do matter when you get into the part of the campaign where they dig into the background of a vice president uh, in a proctoscopic way? Uh, I think Noam would be hurt. I, I don't know that Tim Scott would be in the world of today. You know, I, I, I should have said, I, I do agree that Carrie Lake is a consideration, even though she's running for the Senate. Uh, it would be good if Trump could name somebody that would help him with the suburban moms. Maybe also a Glenn Youngkin uh, could be a consideration, uh, possibly right. uh, Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa. 
uh, those would be considerations. I agree that but she Trump was disloyal. Loyalty. The but thing I would disloyal. say Trump also wants is competence. And you know, someone okay, I, I think he, I think I think Governor I think Governor Reynolds may have hurt herself with her the endorsement of of, of uh, DeSantis. But uh, <laughs> let let's go to. Uh, Brent, again, you, you've been reluctant to make any name any names because you don't think it's important. But what about for the future of the party? I mean, if if Donald Trump, because at this point, Donald Trump is thinking about about his history and his legacy. Is there a selection that he could make as a running mate that would help him uh, solidify his place in history in a positive way? Does anybody think that's possible? Uh, no, on, on, honestly, no. There's no one no. he can pick that will make any difference to his place in history. Does his everybody agree with that? Terry, do you agree with that? Terry, do you agree with that? No, I, I, I don't. I think it does matter, especially when you look at the incompetence of our current vice president. If Trump has somebody who's very competent, it's really going to show up the Biden ticket. Okay. Bill, quick, I got 10 seconds for you. Uh, I've seen two vice presidential selections that were controversial. One was Dane Quayle. George Bush won in 1992, uh, 1980. Yeah, 1988. George Bush won. I'm Bruce Dillon. We have to say farewell to all of our guests who have joined us, uh, Bill Schneider and Terry uh, Martin and Brent Hamachek. We thank you all for joining us at hour number one to talk about Ron DeSantis uh, dropping out of the presidential race. When we come back, we're going to talk a lot more with Charles Stewart III. He is a professor of political science at MIT. We're going to pick his brain for a whole hour. So we've got lots to learn. That's perfect. This is Jerry Boyer for townhall.com. Ultra-liberal New York Congressman Jerry Nadler just made a very strange case for illegal immigration. Forget the fact that our vegetables would rot in the ground if they weren't being picked by many immigrants, many illegal immigrants. The fact is that the birth rate in this country is way below replacement level, which means our population is going to start shrinking. And the ratio of people on Social Security and Medicare is going to increase relative to the number of people supporting them. What's notable about that isn't that he wants more illegal immigration. What's notable is that he, a liberal Democrat, acknowledges that we have an underpopulation problem. So we don't face a population bomb. We don't need to shrink global population to sustainable levels. Our economy actually needed the 70 million people we've aborted since Roe? It's nice to hear our lefty admit to the reality of demographic winter, even if only for a moment and in the service of lawlessness. Bruce Dumont back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us tonight from coast to coast and border to border. Phone lines open 1-800-723-8289. Tonight's program is coming to you from uh, downtown Chicago, where I'm doing my program from home this evening, as all my guests are also doing their broadcast from uh, home as well. So uh, in this hour, we're going to talk about uh, what's happening uh, at, at the election level all of the United States uh, so much time is spent after elections to talk about what was wrong and how things can be improved. So we're going to talk about uh, some of those things this evening. And also, if you're running for president of the United States and you're an independent or you want to be part of the no labels uh, you know, effort, 
what likelihood do you have of being elected uh, if you're not on in all 50 states? So these are some of the things we'll talk about this evening. And one of the top experts in the country on that subject joins us. He is Charles Stewart III. He is a professor of political science at, uh, uh, at MIT, and he heads uh, their uh, data election data and science lab. And uh, uh, Charles Stewart, nice to have you back with us, uh, Professor. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Bruce. I'd like to, as, as you look uh, into your crystal ball now, uh, between now and November, or on Election Day in November, um, what, are, what are the ticking time bombs that are out there? Are there, are there things that are obvious to you now that could be a, a problem come Election Day insofar as the fairness of American elections? Yeah, th- I, mean, th- I mean, there's at least two large buckets that I would um, put into that category. I mean, the first and the most obvious has to do with um, the various, I mean, the various court cases that um, that Donald Trump is embroiled in. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that branches off into a variety of directions that we can talk about later, right. I guess. Right. But, but, you know, one is just, you know, kind of the, just the court cases themselves and, um, you know, what a conviction or a, um, you know, a no guilty finding, you know, does. I mean, that, so that would be important. Um, But there's also in particular um, kind of election administration wise, there's um, the whole matter about attempts to exclude him from the, from the ballot in various various places, right. and I think that that in some ways has, I mean, it's close, but I think that actually those decisions have a possibility of creating even greater chaos than necess- that, than even being convicted or found not guilty. So that's the big thing, kind of the court cases. I mean, there's the election administration. I mean, we, I mean, there's, I mean, even if you put right. all that aside, I mean, there's an election being run and. But on the issue, of, Professor, on the issue of the court cases, yeah, uh, and the Supreme Court's involvement, and again, let's talk uh, primarily about Colorado, and there may be other states uh, that right. are also involved. But Colorado is the one that most people are aware of. Um, if the Supreme and by the way, the the general speculation has been that the Supreme Court's going to throw this idea out, and there may be, might even be a majority a majority opinion on that. So is that as big a slam dunk as some of the Trump people think that uh, it's going to it's going to turn its back on the on the uh, Colorado decision? Yeah, well, so uh, to, to be clear, I'm not an attorney, but but um, or a legal scholar, um, but I, I talk to a lot of them and I pay attention to what's being said among people who follow these things clearly. I if I were a betting person, I would bet at the end of the day that Donald Trump, the Supreme Court is going to keep Donald Trump on both the primary ballots and on the general election ballots. Um, and there's a lot of reasons that they might do it. And I think there's a good chance that it will be um, more than just the conservatives uh, on, the, on the court agreeing to that. The, I think mm-hmm. the most important question to think about is how quickly they come to a decision. If they, for instance, punt right now on the question that's in front of them, which is about whether, well, they just decide narrowly on the decision in front of them, which is about whether he's on the ballot for the primaries, and then you know, puts later on this question about whether he's on the ballot for the general election. Um, I, I think that how they decide it 
rather than necessarily the substance of the decision could um, really play into the degree of chaos that could go into the election. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that at this point, uh, if the Supreme Court came down and said that Donald Trump uh, was going to be off the ballot in Colorado and elsewhere, because other jurisdictions are going to be using the same legal battle that was made in Colorado, that there would have been a violation of the 14th Amendment and the interpretation of the 14th Amendment is what they use as their uh, reason for deciding as they did. I just think it would be devastating to the nation because all, not only all the people that have supporting or are supporting Donald Trump, would they be upset? But it, it's talking about um, the entire nation has been, you know, focused on this race involving Donald Trump for well over a year now, and it would almost make the American political election process suspect and i i don't know how a nation gets over something as that that, that would be a a death knell to to democracy i think it it would definitely be um a, a challenge and one of the reasons why i think the supreme court is going to find a way um to allow trump to continue is that the history of supreme court jurisprudence has been to let let the electorate vote for the candidates they want. That, you know, we have close to a century now of decisions from the Supreme Court, which has, um, those decisions have pretty much restricted states from putting candidates on the ballot that the parties want. And I think that's an important thing that oftentimes is overlooked in some of the commentary. And that is, you know, parties have a right. It's called associational rights. I mean, they have the they parties have the right, according to the Supreme Court, to decide who their nominees are. And from time to time, minor parties have nominated people who are clearly not eligible because of citizenship or age, and they've been on the ballot before. Um, and so, you know, kind of narrowly, you can separate out whether someone can be on the ballot and whether somebody can serve. And that might be one of the ways in which the Supreme Court kind of you know, goes down this narrow path is just to say, certainly for the primaries, that um, you know, if the Republicans want to put somebody on the ballot or consider somebody on, on the ballot who may be ineligible, that's on the Republicans. That's not for the states to decide. You know, that's not for the Supreme Court to decide. That's for the Republican Party to decide. Um, and mm -hmm. that's one way of kind of kicking this, you know, this, this stone down the road. But I think the larger political point is the one that you're making and is probably one that the court has had in mind all along that yeah. if, you, if you, if you keep right, if you keep somebody who's obviously as popular as, as Trump is off the ballot, you have problems. Thing number one, thing number two, this is what politics is about. And, you know, the court from time to time. I mean, court has weighed into politics more in the last half century uh, than it used to. But ultimately, it's going to say these are political decisions. This is not a legal decision. Professor, we've got a pause. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago.
a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we've been talking about the sort of the monopoly that Republicans and Democrats have on ballot access in the United States. And uh, one thing I want to talk to the professor about is some of the other uh, options that, that may or may not be out there in reality. And uh, you have Robert Kennedy running for president. He's running as an independent. You've got flirtation with a group called No Labels that want to present a, a, part, a nonpartisan, bipartisan uh, ticket to the American people. Uh, you've got the Green Party. You've got the, the, the Socialist Party. Uh, you've got Cornell West. Uh, I'm not quite sure what party he's running on, but you've got a lot of other 
um, you know, I would say they're not necessarily third party, but they're, they're additional parties. Uh, how many of them are viable? Uh, meaning how many states do they have to be on to have viability? Well, I mean, they, well, um, they need more than just to be in all the states. I mean, they, they certainly they need to be on the great majority of the states, um, you know, minimally enough to get a majority of the electoral college. But I mean, more importantly, they need to get, um, you know, they need to get pluralities of the electorate in those states as well. And right now, um, you know, none of these none of these candidates uh, that we might talk about, Cornell West or Robert Kennedy, has anything close to even, you know, double digit support, much less 30, 40 percent support that might get them some electoral votes. Mm -hmm. Are they are they in a position then when when they plot their campaigns, are they thinking about the difficulty of being on in all 50 states? Or do they say, you know what, if we can if we can carve out, let's say, uh, 185 or 90 electoral votes, we we can throw it into the House of Representatives. Is that is that the thinking of a, of a third party candidate that they don't they're they're definitely out there to be a spoiler? Right. I mean, well, I mean, you have to get inside. I mean, for a particular candidate, you have to get inside their, their minds, right? And yeah. I mean, that's difficult. So, I mean, what is a political scientist I can do is, is speak generally about, um, you know, third party candidates in the past and then try to figure out what, what's happening with these folks. I mean, it's rarely the case that a minor party candidate has any choice um, or any choice, any chance of, of, of getting you know, enough votes even to get into in, into the um, House of Representatives. And someone like a Ross Perot was probably hoping to get it thrown into the House of Representatives and, um, you know, by some miracle, having a majority of the House vote for them. Um, or a George Wallace, um, you know, back in 1968. I mean, that was another possibility. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, even like, you know, more, more recently, you know, the, you know, um, you know, a, a Ralph Nader or nowadays a Jill Stein or, or those folks, um, you know, what are they up to? I mean, some people would say that it's a pure ego project um, and or maybe, you know, delusional. I mean, anyone running for president has a huge ego. So um, I don't know that that's especially unique. But someone like, a, you know, a Robert Kennedy or a Jill Stein or a Cornell West has to know that they're not going to become president, and so you know what's the the, the purpose? One person short one purpose short term is just to give voice to people that they believe are not being heard, and um, mm -hmm. you know I think Cornell West is probably um, a candidate like that, and maybe a Robert Kennedy. I mean that's one pot. Another possibility, and this was um, probably like where Ralph Nader was, was a bit of a longer gain. Um, right. I mean, if you if you think that, well, OK, the Green Party, we're trying to grow the Green Party. Um, well, if we could get five percent of the vote of, of the um, of the popular vote, we would get public financing in the 2028 election. And, mm -hmm. you know, that could be a way of growing, you know, this minor party into into more of a national presence. And so I'm not saying that anybody right now is thinking long term because I, I don't see any of them doing that. But from time to time, 
I think Nader was probably. But it wouldn't necessarily. It would. It wouldn't. It it would give them access to maybe some federal funding, if they did well in the popular vote, but that does right. not automatically mean they end up on the ballot in fifty states. That's right. They still Although, have to you know, go if, through the individual. Right, and again, right, the, right, the, the but, state, but you know, if you're closing eighty-five percent nationwide, you're going to have. Right, you're going to have you're going to have um, you know popular support in each of the states in order to do the. You know, get the petitions and then oftentimes federal courts or state courts if you get up to like 40 45 states then um you know state courts oftentimes have said look you know this person is in every other state um there's constitutional reasons we want to give people a voice here put them on the ballot here um and so you know we we've had um these minor parties on every uh, in every state in the past um but again mm-hmm. i mean i think i i think the least cynical version or explanation for them running is to play a long game in order to try to overcome this monopoly or duopoly of of the two parties. Or it's also in the case of Cornell West, and and I certainly believe he's a man of his beliefs and principles, but again, uh, taking by being on a ballot and by giving a choice to people to vote for him, he is, in most cases, pulling votes away from Joe Biden and the Democrats, and he wants to punish them. I mean, he may not want Donald Trump to be elected, but he would like to punish Joe Biden and the Democratic Party for not being as aggressive as he would like them to be on uh, on uh, issues of civil rights. Oh, absolutely. And um, I mean, Cornell West was, was no huge fan of Barack Obama either. And so um, right. that certainly... You know something something that's got to be in his in, in his mind now whether that in fact is how voters think and respond is another question i mean i mean cornell west is you know arguably a you know great academic a great thinker um, um whether he's a great politician is is another question um and whether he's a great yeah. expert about why people make their vote choices um, that's another question. I, I, I'm skeptical about whether he would pull a lot of people away from Biden um, toward him, as opposed to just people just um, abstaining. Uh, question about the Iowa caucus. Everyone knew for well in a, a year in advance how important the Iowa caucus was to the process and to the Republican Party. And uh, there was so much media focus on on, on uh, uh, Iowa, as, as that always does. And again, you have the results from a couple of Mondays ago. But, you know, 14 percent of Republicans in Iowa voted only 14 percent. And these were people held up to the to the nation as people who really believed in democracy, look how they get out when it's you know bitter cold out there, and only 14% showed up. So with all of the study and the research that you have done, uh, have you tackled the idea as to why so many Americans don't care to vote? Well, I mean, it depends on whether you're talking about primaries or whether you're talking about general elections. Um, um, why you know why only 14% of Republicans showed up to vote um, in Iowa? Well, <laughs> I mean, the political scientists are kind of amazed that anybody votes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Because 
you know, you're not going to break a tie and all of that. So, so it's expressive. Look, I mean, it, it's, you know, people want to express their, you know, their opinions, their beliefs. Um, primaries generally, I mean, like in 2020, we followed this as well. I mean, once say Biden was the nominee of, was, was, it was the clear nominee of the Democratic Party, turnout on the Democratic side also just collapsed. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and turnout on the Republican side already in 2020 was around the 15, 20% in, in primaries and whatnot. If, if it doesn't matter, if you know that Trump is going to be the nominee, and I think right now, you know, it's at 90, at the time it was 85%, and now it's at 95%. Um, why, I mean, why show up to vote um, when you have other things to do, especially with a, with a caucus? Where it's cold, you got to take, you know, you got to mm-hmm. go and you got to do it. You got to hang around yeah. for a couple of hours, just kind of, you know, doing nothing. Um, um, it, like I said, it's kind of a miracle that that so many people turn out to vote under those circumstances anyway. Um, when we come back, I want to talk a, a little bit um, about the process, and because no, no one is talking about it, but I think with the big news today that Ron DeSantis has dropped out. And it is now the two-person race that that uh, uh, the Nikki Haley wants with Donald Trump. But again, I think uh, a lot of people are concerned um, that uh, between now and uh, the uh, election in November, and between the convention uh, this uh, summer in Milwaukee, um, you know, something could happen to Donald Trump. I mean, you know, we we talk about these campaigns, and I, and I'm not talking about anything conspiratorial or assassinations or anything of that nature, but he's, he's a man of, of some age, as am I, uh, and things happen to people of, of my age and uh, maybe to a lesser degree your age, but the point is, uh, what, what would happen? I mean, if, if Donald Trump continues to win um, and something were to happen to him when he was not able to continue what is the what are the rights and uh, and rules of the Republican Party to be able to select anybody at their convention who has not gone through a primary process? Does it automatically mean that Nikki Haley would become a candidate because she's lasted the longest? Or what is the process that goes uh, through uh, the, the leadership of the party? I want to get Charles' response to that. Charles Stewart III is our guest, political science professor at MIT and one of the smartest guys in the country on elective politics. In the new video series, Fault Lines, Professor Vody Bauckham examines the threat of woke social doctrine versus biblical justice. The religion of anti-racism has no redemption. We have to be right about what God requires in this critical moment. Discover the fault lines beneath today's cultural divide. What God are you trying to appease? Fault Lines, the 10-part video series and essential six-part study guide. Available at SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night,
website and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, and Charles Stewart III joins us from MIT. But uh, I'm going to let Charles give us a little background, further background on... uh, uh, your involvement, uh, Charles. Tell us, tell us a little bit about this uh, data and election uh, lab that uh, uh, you founded. Yeah, I, um, this is a lab that I founded in, um, in 2017. And the idea is, I mean, there's two ideas. One is to um, bring the scientific method to studying election administration in the United States. Um, I think most you and most of your callers recognize that um, election administration these days is highly politicized and highly controversial. And um, we are trying as hard as we can to try to um, um, insert, um, you know, kind of science and empirics and facts into um, debates about how to um, how to run elections. Um, we're also very related to that. We are very active in trying to uh, marry together academics who oftentimes are, you know, eggheaded and kind of removed from day-to-day reality um, and trying mm-hmm. to get them involved with election administrators in, um, you know, kind of fine-tuning their electoral processes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, running elections is a hard thing to do, and um, it's like running a business. And um, we ultimately, at the at the MIT Election Data and Science Lab, are um, 
you know, are dedicated to, you know, as I said, scientific analysis of election administration and um, mm -hmm. trying to help election officials run fair, accurate, secure elections based on the best evidence that we can put together. In the wake of the last presidential election, which Donald Trump challenged, uh, there were there was there was there was legal action in a number of states, primarily Arizona and Georgia, and I believe uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and maybe Pennsylvania. Um, was there any change in the administration of elections because of those actions by the Trump uh, team? Well, um, yeah, I mean, actually, um, not not nearly because of that litigation. I mean, that litigation mm -hmm. um, is litigation was a massive failure. Um, the Trump administration didn't right. win any of the court cases. But um, Republicans did take advantage of the dissatisfaction around the election to um, change how elections are administered in some of those states, um, Georgia being one of those. Um, but actually, in the states that you mentioned, you know, Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, et cetera, um, those are purple states that have divided government um, you know, Democrats and Republicans, you know, various mixtures in their legislature and mm -hmm. governor. And um, in most of those states, actually, there's not been a huge change in how elections are administered. Um, with the exception of in many states, they've actually been able to pass laws so that um, votes will be counted faster in 24 than they were in 2020, which is a good thing. Um, um, and, uh, and Georgia, I mean, Georgia is an, ex is an exception because there's Republicans at the top everywhere in Georgia. And um, they mm -hmm. restricted a bit access to voting in Georgia, but not dramatically so. So the biggest changes in election administration after 2020 were actually in the deep red and the deep blue states that are not going to be, you know, so much in play in this uh, in this coming election. Are elections more or less fair and objective now than they were five years ago? Um, that's a good question. I think they are, well, in 2020, well, objective. I mean, I, I think there's, there's, there's two questions there. I mean, I think well, objective fair. is um, different let's from fair. Let's use the word fair. Yeah, because... Um, well, I mean, the reason, I mean, so here's the thing. I mean, Democrats and Republicans disagree fundamentally about some things about election administration, right? Democrats are more likely to believe that it should be easy to vote. Republicans are more concerned about, um, about fraud. And um, if you're in a democratic state, you're likely to have a more expansive set of rules in your state. And if you're a Republican, you're going to think that's unfair, right? And so I think we have to recognize that there's room for disagreement. And if you're on the wrong side of the political divide in your state, you're going to think things are unfair. I will How say that. Okay. Go no, I was just going to say, if you just stand back, every state in the United States is, is within kind of a, you know, there's no huge outliers here. So I think it's fair to say that in every state, if we account for the fact that people, reasonable people will disagree about how to run elections, that election officials run elections according to the law, and 
the rules themselves are not what determines who wins. What determines who wins is who gets the most votes based on the rules in play in that state. So I would say they're fair everywhere. To what extent are voter uh, voter uh, voter identification required to vote in the fifty states? Is is it is it a movement that's growing or declining? It's a movement that that's growing. It's growing um, gradually. Um, something of the order of thirty or thirty five states now require um, some sort of um, government issued ID. Um, mm-hmm. The um, you know, the the research suggests that um, the institution of these laws has not had the effects that either the opponents or the supporters wanted or feared. That is mm-hmm. to say, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of impersonation fraud to begin with. So, you know, there's there's nothing to solve there. On the other hand, we don't see a big contraction of turnout in these states, nor do we see um, voters becoming more trusting of the election in these states. So they're kind of a nothing burger with respect to do we trust, see, those sorts of things. Do we see a growing trend for uh, vote by mail or, or allowing people to vote in more than one day? early voting? Yes. You're right. So that was right. That was the big change in 2020, right? Related to the pandemic. And a number of states, including Republican states, made it much easier to vote by mail in 2020. We've seen a number of those states, especially the Republican states that liberalized things to go back to the status quo before 2020. We've also seen in Democratic states, um, it much it becoming much easier to vote by mail. And so a few states like Nevada, Vermont, are now going to be mailing votes, um, ballots to um, to all the eligible, uh, or not eligible, but all the registered voters in those states. It is interesting, mm-hmm. by the way. And they don't, have to, they, they, don't have ask, they don't have to ask for a ballot. They will automatically get one if they're on the rolls. Exactly. Exactly. So there's now about seven or eight states where that's going to be the case Um, with California, the largest um, um, Nevada, um, Colorado, Colorado, Oregon and Washington have been doing it the longest. Um, Hawaii is one. I think I mentioned Vermont, D.C. Um, So a bit over a half dozen states will be doing that. Um, Here is here is one. uh, There's one issue that always bothers me and maybe you can uh, put my mind at ease. Uh, when you allow someone for whatever reason to vote early, they could be on vacation, they could be sick, whatever, you allow them to vote early. But then, uh, in addition to that, you give them the extra benefit that their vote could come in a little bit late, a little past deadline, and it will still be counted. And I'm just saying is that if you have a, if you have a rule that someone is voting early, they perhaps should have an earlier deadline so that all of the ballots are in on election day and they hopefully will get a, a voted, if not election night, at least by the next day. 
But some jurisdictions that allow an extra five or six days or a week to do it, I think that's just it, it's it's ripe for for uh, for fraud. Your thought, uh, right? Well, right. Well, the first thing I'll, I'll say that's a great example of something where I think reasonable people disagree with that. Um, having mm -hmm. said that, I'm 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 closer to you than um, than to the other side. Um, I think what we just what we found in 2020. Well, I, what I will say I, is I don't think it's I don't think see any evidence that it's prone to fraud. What what we do see is that the optics are really bad, right? Because you get folks yeah. coming in afterwards, and um, in the rest of the world, we judge how well elections are run in part by how fast they count the ballots, and right. so makes it hard to do and the optics are bad and i think one one of the things we learned in 2020 is that we need to be concerned with the optics and we also know and this is an important thing a very small fraction of votes come in after election day so if you make if you require all of the mail ballots to arrive by the close of polls on election day you're not going to be denying the, the vote to very many people. I mean, an, another thing to, to kind of think about is that in those states that allow votes to come in like a week after um, the close of, of, of mm -hmm. right, they still have votes that show up late, right? So you're always right. going to have votes that show up late. Um, yeah, but to, but, but to me, those, to me, those people are... To me, those people, they're asking for a favor. They're using the system to ask for a favor. And then, oh, by the way, if they're, if they're delayed, we, we have to wait, you know, a few days or a week to find out how they voted. I don't think that's right. Back shortly with Charles Stewart III, he agrees somewhat. Somewhat. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill, wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. If you're a local business and want to see what Salem Surround can do for you, visit surroundchicago.com. Remember to visit surroundchicago.com today. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay 
isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. First Vermont back on Beyond the Beltway, and uh, Charles Stewart from MIT joins us in Boston. Uh, Charles, so before this is our last segment, uh, is there anything that you would like to discuss and, and share with the audience tonight that I have not asked you about that you think is relevant? Well, I think, you know, I, I think one of the things that um, the audience should be just aware of and we should all be concerned about is the um, the difficult situation election officials find themselves in right now. Um, because of this, um, you know, controversy over election administration, there are election officials around the country, especially in um, in these battleground states that are getting death threats, that are um, finding it very difficult to do their jobs. And I think that that's in and of itself a bad thing and unfortunate, but it also um, does have could very well have a consequence for how this election is administered. Um, we're seeing in, a, in parts of the country where um, senior election officials are stepping down because of the pressures and counties are seeing people come in and take those jobs. Um, people running elections who are probably highly qualified, but have never run a presidential election b- before. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that's an issue that I think that we should be aware of. And if I could, you know, you know, if I could wave my magic wand in election administration this year. Tell me where we are. Uh, I'm going to continue to talk. We have just crashed. And I do not know whether that means that I have crashed independently or uh, Charles Stewart has crashed. He got everybody. He got everybody's attention when he said I could if I could just wave my magic wand. I see Charles back. Uh, I don't know whether that means he's back. Charles, Charles, can you hear?
This is Jerry Boyer for townhall.com. Ultra-liberal New York Congressman Jerry Nadler just made a very strange case for illegal immigration. Forget the fact that our vegetables would rot in the ground if they weren't being picked by many immigrants, many illegal immigrants. The fact is that the birth rate in this country is way below replacement level, which means our population is going to start shrinking. And the ratio of people on Social Security and Medicare is going to increase relative to the number of people supporting them. What's notable about that isn't that he wants more illegal immigration. What's notable is that he, a liberal Democrat, acknowledges that we have an underpopulation problem. So we don't face a population bomb. We don't need to shrink global population to sustainable levels. Our economy actually needed the 70 million people we've aborted since Roe. It's nice to hear our lefty admit to the reality of demographic winter, even if only for a moment and in the service of lawlessness. TV news. It's a love-hate relationship. Well, let's be honest. More hate. We agree. That's why we're different. Salem News Channel has assembled the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. Home to Charlie Kirk, Hugh Hewitt, Eric Metaxas, and more. There's finally a place on TV for lovers of freedom like you. Watch anytime, on any screen, free, 24-7. Find what you're looking for at snc.tv. That's snc.tv. As a local business owner, you get called every week by marketing companies. We get it. We have hundreds of satisfied customers. Here's what a satisfied client recently said. Open enrollment is going great. We're hitting record numbers. Thank you so much for this report. It really is amazing to see how the marketing is really shaping our enrollment around the city. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, visit surroundchicago.com right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Visit surroundchicago.com today. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came?